Utah and Grand County and San Juan. They dig the yellow stuff that makes the atom bomb. They do the uranium miners boogie. It's uranium miners boogie. It's the uranium miners boogie. They dig digging all day long. You are listening to Men in Lead Aprons. Everything you might want to know about radiation, the good, the bad, and the not yet known. This is a regular podcast from the Columbia University Center for Radiological Research from the heart of New York City. And here are your hosts, Dr. Eric Hall and Dr. David Brenner. Hello, and welcome back to Men in Lead Aprons, a series of podcasts from the Center for Radiological Research at Columbia University in the heart of New York City. This is episode four, and today we will focus on mammography. My name is Eric Hall, and for more than 20 years, I was director of the Center for Radiological Research. My fellow man in lead aprons is David Brenner, who is the current director of the center. In the first introductory podcast, we gave a glimpse of the varied topics that we plan to cover scanners at airports, nuclear power, natural background radiation, and of course the medical uses of radiation. Today we're going to focus on mammography because this has been very much in the news of late, on television, particularly in the newspapers, because various groups have changed the recommendations for screening with mammography. Many people are understandably confused, and so we thought this was an item that needs to be discussed. So let me introduce my fellow man in a lead apron, uh, David Brenner. Uh, Good morning, Eric. And also, we are pleased to welcome a special guest who can have important input to this discussion. Let me introduce Dr. Eileen Connolly, attending physician at Presbyterian Hospital, who is in charge of the breast service in the Department of Radiation Oncology. Good morning, Eileen. Good morning, Eric, and good morning, David. So, Dr. Brenner... Are you ready to discuss mammography? Uh, Mammography is the topic of the day, and uh, as you say, it's been in the newspapers and on the Internet just uh, all over the place the last uh, month or so. Well, it seems to me that before we can get on to mammography, we've got to talk about breast cancer uh, in general. What do we know about that? Well, let's do that. Let's talk about breast cancer, and it's undoubtedly the most common of all the female cancers. And the number that that one hears all the time is one in eight. And what that means is that uh, everybody who lives uh, to a ripe old age of, shall we say, 80, uh, every woman has about a one in eight chance that sometime in their lives they will develop breast cancer. So that's that's a big number, one in eight. And what that corresponds to, at least in the U.S., is about 230,000 breast cancer cases per year. And it actually corresponds to about a third of all the cancers among women. So it's a really big story. It's the most common uh, cancer among women, but it's not the most common cause of cancer death among women, and that's actually lung cancer. So lung cancer kills about 70,000 women each year in the U.S. Breast cancer kills is responsible for about 40,000 deaths per year. So what we learned from that is that breast cancer is actually a pretty curable disease relative to lung cancer. And uh, indeed it is. When we think about cancers, we think of uh, survival over so many years after diagnosis. And the five-year survival after breast cancer diagnosis is about 90%, so nine, nine out of 10 
women will survive five years, and the 15-year survival is about 80%. So eight out of 10 women will survive at least 15 years. So those are very good numbers in terms of cancer, meaning it's an eminently curable disease. So who exactly gets breast cancer? What age groups and what people are involved? So that, that's, that's a very good question. And in fact, the biggest risk factor for breast cancer is actually age. So breast cancer is pretty rare among younger women aged in their 20s and 30s. So the ages uh, of concern for breast cancer, roughly 40 to 75 or 80. And the, the median age of uh, breast cancer is about 60 meaning that about half of all breast cancers are in women uh, under 60 and half of all breast cancers are in women over 60. So age is a, is a big factor. So the next big factor is, uh, is family history. Does someone in your immediate family, your, uh, your mother, sister, daughter, uh, have a history of breast cancer? People who've got breast cancer in the family are a definitely increased risk for getting breast cancer. Um, and associated with that are, uh, is, is your genetic status. So there are a number of genes now which are considered breast cancer genes, and the, and the most commonly talked about ones are, are BRCA1 and BRCA2. So these are pretty rare gene mutations, but if you have a defect in those genes, your chances of getting breast cancer are quite markedly increased. And I'm sure you've read about the Angelina Jolie story. So she had uh, the bra defect in the BRCA1 gene, and she had a prophylactic uh, double mastectomy as, as a result of that, and that certainly decreased her risk of, uh, of getting breast cancer to uh, very, very small uh, risk indeed. Uh, but of course, that's a pretty dramatic uh, thing to do, to have a, a double mastectomy. And I, I might say, as, as an aside here, that we're working here at the Center for Radiological Research to try and develop non-invasive alternatives for uh, uh, women who are at high risk for uh, breast cancer. And that's still in the, in the research stage, but that's certainly one of our big themes here at, uh, at Columbia. And I, I talked about the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, but there undoubtedly must be a lot more genes around that we don't yet know about. And again, that's a theme that we're working on here at uh, Columbia University to try, try and identify a, a, a simple test, a simple blood test to try and say, well, this person is at uh, high risk for breast cancer, this person is at not so high risk. I mean, we, don't, we don't have a good and reliable test right now for who's at high risk, but uh, that's one of the themes we are working on here. And then there are uh, actually physical factors, which, of course, you can't control. And, and the biggest one there is, uh, is the breast density. So some, some breasts are very dense, which means they've got more fibrous and more glandular tissue. And some breasts are more uh, fatty, meaning that they contain more fatty tissue. And fatty breasts are more, uh, more prone to uh, developing a breast cancer. And that's, again, related back to age, that younger women have denser breasts, and uh, as uh, women become older, they, their breasts become uh, more fatty. And that's one of the reasons why they're more at risk for, uh, for breast cancer. 
And then, of course, there are controllable uh, factors, and it's the usual suspects here. Obesity and smoking are both associated with an increase in breast cancer risk. So we know rich women are likely to get breast cancer, but what about methods of diagnosis? How can they be detected? Well, the standard methods uh, from time immemorial have been uh, actually self-examination or a physical examination in a doctor's office to detect uh, a small lump. And that's certainly uh, something which women absolutely should still be doing. Uh, But more recently, and finally we're getting on to today's topic, uh, mammography is being used to detect early-stage breast cancers. So tell us about mammography. So mammography is basically an, another form of X-ray exams, uh, which we've talked about quite a lot in, uh, in our earlier programs. Um, as, as we've said, uh, X-rays can detect anything inside a body which is uh, either more or less dense than the surrounding uh, tissue, and that will show up as either a, a bright spot or a dark spot on, on the film or the detector uh, on the other side of the, of the, the breast. The thing with detecting early-stage breast cancer is that the the lump that you're trying to detect is typically not very different from the surrounding normal tissue, and it, as well as which it's small. So it's it was always pretty hard to detect these uh, small lumps with, with X-rays because the contrast really wasn't there. So that all changed in, in the late 1960s when a physician called Robert Egan at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Texas, uh, developed a a much more sensitive X-ray test, which he called mammography. And the the technical trick involved basically involves using very low-energy X-rays compared with uh, the normal X-rays and also using uh, very sensitive film, uh, which these days is generally now replaced with, uh, with an electronic detector, just as we don't use film in our cameras, we now use electronic uh, film on in our iPhones. So mammograms absolutely can detect small cancers in the breast earlier than can be detected with, uh, with a physical examination. And that means in general that the cancer can be detected earlier, and that means it can be treated earlier. And in general, if you treat a cancer earlier, you've got a much more, much better likelihood of a cure. So this uh, sounds like a slam dunk. If mammograms detect cancer, why shouldn't all women have a mammogram as often as possible? Why are there rules about when to start and when to stop? Well, uh, it's, uh, Eric, it's just like any other medical procedure in a hospital. It turns out there are risks and there are benefits. And, uh, yeah, I've talked about the benefits. It's uh, earlier diagnosis, and in principle, that should lead to earlier treatment and better likelihood of cure. But there, there, are, there are risks associated with them. And, and let, I'm going to try and illustrate that with, with an example. Um, let's, let's think about, shall we say, a 1,000 women who uh, get screened with uh, using mammography. And they're screened, the the current guidelines up till recently have been every year from 45 to, shall we say, 60. So these 1,000 women are being screened every year um, for 15 years. So what do we expect to to happen to to these 1,000 women? Well, somewhere around 80 of those 1,000 women will indeed have something suspicious in one of her mammograms. So... um, 
a little less than one in ten will have something in one of her mammograms. So let's let's think now about those eighty women who've had uh, something suspicious in one of her mammograms. In fact, of those eighty, about one will have a life-threatening breast cancer, and will be which will be diagnosed and will be treated and will be cured. So that's the the big plus of mammograms, treating and curing a potentially lethal breast cancer. But of those 80 women, about 70 actually will end up having further tests, maybe an, a, a second mammogram, maybe then an ultrasound, and maybe a physical uh, biopsy, and ultimately uh, will get the all clear. In other words, that they didn't have a breast cancer after all. So they've had a good deal of uh, extra tests. They've had an immense amount of stress, of course, and ultimately they've been cleared. So that's that's what's generally called a false positive. It was thought to be a, a positive mammogram, but it turned out not to be. So that's, that's definitely a downside of mammogra- mammography, a, a false positive. And the other downside, one of the other downsides is, again, Thinking about the 80 women out of the 1,000 who, who were screened with mammography and who had actually something suspicious on her mammogram, well, maybe about five of the, those 80 women will be treated for uh, breast cancer. But in fact, the breast cancer they had uh, was not life-threatening. And had they not had any treatment at all, they would have, could have lived their lives perfectly well and died from some other something else ultimately. So they did have breast cancer, but it wasn't a breast cancer that, in retrospect, needed to be treated. So, again, that's a downside because you're having a treatment which you really didn't need, although once the breast cancer was there, one can't predict whether it's going to be you really need the treatment or not. So that's called overdiagnosis, where you've diagnosed breast cancers, but in fact that breast cancer didn't need to be treated. So you have, again, of of the 1,000 women who started off having uh, mammograms, one of those women, on on average, will actually have her life saved by the mammography. About 70 will have had a false false positive, meaning that that, uh, initially it was thought they had breast cancer, but after further tests that wasn't the case. And And five will have had treatment for breast cancer, which in retrospect they didn't really need. So you can see there are risks and benefits. You absolutely want to save the life of the person that you can save the life of. Uh, But the balance is that there are various things which you don't want, which are happening to uh, some of the other women who uh, get mammography. So it really is a balance of of risks and benefits. So mammograms involve radiation. So is there any possibility that the radiation, as well as detecting breast cancer, may actually induce breast cancer in the first place? Yeah, well, that's another, I I must say, small risk that's associated with uh, the risks and benefits of mammography. So the the techniques of uh, mammography are pretty darn good these days, and that means that the radiation dose that's given to the breast during uh, mammography is very low indeed. So yes, we believe that all radiation has some risk associated with it, but uh, for mammography, it's a pretty small risk. So in terms of 
the risks and the benefits. I, I don't think that's a very big player in the story. The, the risks that we're concerned about are more with, as we've talked about, uh, false positives and overdiagnosis. Um, but I, I might say that that's still not the end of the story in terms of the uh, the downsides of mammography. And I hate to, to uh, harp on these because uh, we do need also to be thinking about the upsides of mammography, which is the, that, that one woman who will have her life saved by a, a mammogram. But the other problem is, is false negatives. Now, false negative means that a woman has a mammogram, nothing uh, abnormal is detected on that mammogram, but in fact the woman did have uh, breast cancer. So, so the false negative rate for, uh, for mammography is about 20%. So about 20% of women who have a breast cancer actually don't get, it, it isn't seen on the, uh, the mammogram for one reason or another. It might be too small or other, other reasons. So there is a, a false positive rate, which is uh, when it's thought there was a cancer there, but actually there wasn't. There's also a false negative rate, which is when there really was a cancer there, but the mammography didn't pick it up. So, David, what is the history of mammography in the United States? Well, I mean, the, the history really is to do with the different recommendations that uh, have been made as to when uh, mammograms should be done, what ages should, be, should they be done, and how often should, we, should they be done. So by the 1980s, mammography was, was pretty common, and various of the uh, learned societies, like the American Cancer Society and the American College of Radiology, both had recommendations that mammography, routine screening mammography, should happen for all women aged over about 40, and it should be done annually. So that's been the recommendation for, for quite a long time, and it's been implemented, and most insurance companies will cover routine mammography. And, and that was, of course, starting at age 40. In fact, it was built into the, the 2012 Affordable Care Act that insurance companies had to cover mammography, mammography from age 40. So that was the situation un, until more or less now. But in fact, a few years ago, a government advisory group of physicians, the, the so-called U.S. Preventative Services Task Group, concluded that actually there was no real good evidence that mammograms under the age of 50 were actually saving lives. And so they recommended that mammography should start at uh, 50 rather than 40. And in fact, more recently to that, the uh, American Cancer Society also suggested moving up the starting age to start mammographic screening, uh, but they recommended moving it from 40 to 45. Uh, and still more recently, um, just in the last month, in, in early December, despite these suggestions, Congress, in fact, decided to keep the age which mammography was starting at, at uh, 40. So that's still in the Affordable Care Act that uh, mammography is covered from age 40. And that's at least for another couple of years while they suggested that the physicians look at the data yet again. David, what do you think is at the heart of these debates about when mammography should start? Well, Eric, to, to coin a phrase, it's complicated. In fact, uh, more than 10% of breast cancers occur under the age of 45. So you'd think you'd want to start uh, mammographic screening earlier than that, maybe age 40. 
On the other hand, uh, as we've discussed before, younger women have denser breasts, and mammography just isn't as good a screening tool for women with denser breasts. And so for younger women, there will be comparatively more false positives and false negative mammograms. So let's turn now to Dr. Eileen Connolly and uh, ask her opinion on the changes to the recommendations uh, proposed by the American College of Radiology and the American Cancer Society. So Eileen, you deal with breast cancer patients every day. Uh, What is your reaction to these proposed changes? So they're quite controversial, uh, first of all, to to know within the field. The American Cancer Society has proposed these changes. However, the American College of Radiology actually has advocated that we maintain the priors. So it can be uh, quite difficult for patients to know what to make of these suggested changes. I think the first important thing is to understand what they mean by standard or average risk women, who that is as compared to those who are at higher risk. Um, I think David went over that. There are models that are available online. The Gale model is most frequently used. Uh, This takes into account an individual's personal history, family history, and reproductive history. To give you an estimated risk of breast cancer at five years and over your own lifetime, and it does not include genetic factors such as BRCA1 or 2. But it's useful for, for women to get an understanding of what their own personal risk is. Uh, it's freely available on the American Cancer Society webpage. And it clearly states what is average risk and who falls into that criteria then. If that is the case, then... It's a little bit of a personal decision regarding your own feelings of risk-benefit. You know, the the benefit, obviously, is potentially earlier detection of breast cancer. However, the cost of that is that you may need to undergo multiple procedures that are unnecessary and will have no benefit to you um, over the course of your life. And these guidelines were developed to try to minimize the the costs in terms of both... uh, to the system as well as to the individual uh, while maximizing the benefit. So do you think that Congress did the right thing to delay everything for two years while we think about it? I do. I do. Because one of the things that's going to change everything, I think, again, is that there's improving technology. We're moving towards 3D mammography in which instead of just taking two views of the breast uh, in two dimensions, which compresses all of the tissue into a flat image, you now get multiple images taken over several degrees that allow you to see the breast to discern normal from abnormal tissue with better sensitivity and specificity, meaning that your likelihood of detecting a breast cancer goes up and your chances of seeing a false positive go down. This technology has only been available for approximately two years and is only now widely being implemented. So I think as it is more readily available, we may see a lot less false positives in the future. And that may change the argument for getting imaging done at starting at age 40. Well, this uh, sounds very interesting, Eileen. Uh, Does that mean you're increasing the dose of radiation to the person to give three-dimensional mammography? And and what, what are the downsides? Does it take longer? Does it cost more? 
yes. So that's the, the controversy regarding uh, 3D mammography is that, in fact, you are increasing the exposure. It, what it is is multiple low-dose exposure of the breast at various angles, typically 8 to 10 images instead of your standard 2 two planar images. Uh, so it's about a five-fold increase in exposure. Additionally, it takes about three times as long. So a standard memo will take about 15 minutes to perform and typically a few minutes to read, whereas 3D mammography takes about 45 minutes to perform. And because there are fewer radiologists that are certified, longer to actually read. So it has increased exposure as well as increased cost to the system as a whole. So the way that it's being implemented here at Columbia, at least initially, is that it's going to be utilized first for women at higher risk. So those with a strong family history of breast cancer, known genetic risk factors, or uh, dense breast tissue. So Eileen, before we come to an end in this podcast, can I ask you to summarize the factors that a woman should consider uh, before having a mammogram? So I think that what you need to consider is your own personal risk, meaning, you know, family history, whether or not there's a known genetic uh, mutation in your family, family like BRCA1 or BRCA2, or you have a first-degree relative, meaning mother, sister, or daughter with a history of breast cancer, or uh, other risk factors such known radiation exposure. I think those women, it's very clear, should get screening mammograms starting at an earlier age. For an average age, uh, average risk woman, I think you sort of need to take the risk benefits and your own comfort level into account. Overall, the risk of breast cancer in younger women is lower. However, the types of breast cancer that can be detected tend to be more aggressive. So for some women, that fact is enough for them to start screening at age 40, and I think that's not unreasonable. For other women, knowing that the chance of finding anything is very low, they're comfortable with waiting until 45. However, I think the most important thing is to have a discussion with your physician, so either your gynecologist or your general practitioner, to discuss the risk benefits so that you're fully informed prior to making the decision is important. Thank you, Eileen. So, David, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up today's podcast? So, Eileen, I, I would like to add my thanks to you for putting things in, in such a clear context. So, if I was to summarize, I would say that when thinking about mammography, the first thing to think about is whether or not you are at high risk for, uh, for breast cancer. And we've discussed some of these risk factors. And as Eileen mentioned, one easy way to see if you are at high risk is to take the so-called Gale questionnaire. And you can find that Gale questionnaire at cancer.gov slash BC risk tool, B-C-R-I-S-K-T-O-O-L, cancer.gov slash BC risk tool. Or you can find a link to that uh, in our Men in Lead Aprons uh, site that Eric will give you at the end of the, uh, this podcast. And if you are at high risk, then uh, you should be starting mammography uh, certainly at age 40 and arguably even earlier. That's surely the right thing to do. Um, but if you're not at, at high risk, if you're an average risk of uh, developing breast cancer in the future, well, at the moment, as we discussed, you're still likely to be covered for routine mammography from the age of 40. But whether to start then at age 40 or to start at 45 or to start at 50, um, that's still very much a judgment call. 
I, I would say that the recent American Cancer Society guidelines seem very, very reasonable to me. And there to start mammographic screening at age 45 and have annual uh, mammographic exams till age 55 and then every two-year exams from then on in for as long as you remain in good health. So that's all we have time for today. Uh, our special thanks go to our guest, Dr. Eileen Collinley. Thank you, Eileen. Uh, our aim today has been to introduce you to some of the divergent views on mammography so that you or a family member are better equipped to make decisions when it's time to go for a mammogram. Just a reminder, please rate and review us on iTunes on the Men in Lead Aprons page, or if you have comments and questions, please visit our website, which is crr.columbia.edu. There is a link to Men in Lead Aprons, where you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us directly.